hands-on experience is something which you can't Google, right? That's where I find value in education. Hands-on experience is always the best teacher. Welcome to the Payments Powerhouses podcast, where we discuss current trends with the movers and shakers in the fintech industry. Brought to you by 2C2P, Asia's leading payment solutions provider. Hello and welcome everyone. This is your host, Twin. And today we have a special guest from the education sector. As a senior lecturer at Singapore Polytechnic, Kian Kantan, who goes by KK, is a key educator in the school's banking and finance department. Armed with over 10 years of corporate experience with companies such as United Overseas Bank and Standard Chartered, KK has worn many hats and is now shaping the future of the fintech workforce. Hi, KK. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. So, KK, it's very interesting to me, and I'm sure our listeners would be really interested to know, how does a banker with 10 years of experience move into the education sector? It's a long story. I've been in the bank for about 10 years at that point of time. I have been in the various uh, roles as well. I move as a personal banker into the commercial banking space as a relationship manager. Before I took my uh, master's and moved along further into the banking industry in the risk management area. So after going through that many roles that I've been to, at that point of time, it feels like I need something uh, more meaningful to me. And it was also at that point of time that I also took up voluntary work when I was in a bank. The big banks, uh, they usually have volunteering opportunities. So I took some of them and there was one that I went over to a secondary school, conduct a financial literacy program. I found out I really loved it because the excitement from the youths, the students, when you know you teach them something new, it energizes me. Then I thought, hey, actually education is something which I may want to venture in in the future. And shortly after that, my ex-colleague was a lecturer and he was the one who, you know, come to me and say, hey, we have vacancy for a lecturer in the banking and finance field. Are you interested? When that happens, of course, there's a lot of things that went through my mind. For example, I've been in the bank for about 10 years. The experience has been rich. But that experience in the volunteering opportunity tells me that, hey, actually I'm pretty good at educating, right? I, I like it. I like the energy. And secondly, if I were to move on to teach banking and finance, I'm not really foregoing all the experience that I have. On the contrary, I might even have more value adding to the students who are learning banking and finance. That few decision-making points helps me to move into the education sector. So tell us more about your role as a senior lecturer at Singapore Polytechnic. Well, I've had the chance to teach many, many different subjects. When I first started, I was tasked to teach the, in the area of technical analysis, you know, securities regulations, some derivatives subjects. That was the start. And as I moved on to the role, I realized there's much more. You don't just teach, right? Because the, the industry moved pretty fast. I also realized that the 10 years that I've been in the bank, I need to carry on the learning experience. So I have to keep up with the industry trends. I have to design it and somehow put it into the curriculum to make it enriching for the students. Not just the technical knowledge, but also what is happening around the industry. So as I begin to do that, I find even more joy in doing that because at least now, you know, I'm keeping up with the times. 
the banking industry and I'm also trying to learn along with the students. That's something which I find really enriching because in the education sector, we have the challenge of trying to teach the students technical knowledge. The reason is because with technology, you see students getting information straight from Google, straight from the internet. We, as educators, we ask ourselves, what are we value adding to the students? If they are able to get information so easily from the internet, why am I here? So that's where I find the value in. I keep myself up to date with what is going on in industry. With my own experience, I guide them through learning the industry. And as it progresses, true enough, the industry really is running very, very fast. I mean, we talk about fintech trends and all that, right? And when it comes up, right, that's where we also feel that, hey, this is something which we need to let the youths and the, the students know what's going on. So then I begin to design new stuff in order to make the learning as enriching as possible to the students. The roles keep on evolving. What was it like at the beginning compared to what it is now for you? In the beginning, it was uh, really just testing out how do I present it well, how do I teach it well in front of 40 students. And at the start, because as a lecturer, we have opportunity to teach 100 over the students in the lecture theater, right? So at the start, it was more like adapting to the way that you know we present ourselves and things like that. But now, it's more on how best can we as lecturers bring this content forward and make it engaging and make sure they learn well. What would you say is the biggest adjustment for you being a professional moving into a teacher role? When I moved from banking industry to the education sector, right, at first I thought in time-wise I should be better. <laughs> you know, because so busy in the banking industry, right? But when I go into the education industry, I realized that I was so wrong. There's even more things to do. <laughs> but the one thing that's very different is why we do it. Because ultimately in the education sector, you see students learning new things. I think that's where I get my energy from. Even though it might feel more loaded up and busy than when I was in the banking industry, but it feels much more meaningful to me. You're directly impacting the younger generation. Yeah, I'm impacting directly, right, in their lives. And they bring away certain, hopefully, bring away certain values that I intend to impart to them. Together with the industry knowledge, how do we navigate with the world change? So right now, you mentioned some of the areas that you cover. Mm-hmm. What specific modules or the most interesting ones are you currently teaching? It has to be fintech innovations that I have uh, developed last year. It's a challenge as well because in the past few years, the fintech trends has been very fast. I have to also keep up with the trends. And not only that, I took up graduate diploma in tech as well in SUSS. For yourself? Yes, correct. To get myself acquainted with all the technical stuff behind all the fintech trends. And the reason why I feel that now is the most interesting is because this is something preparing students for the future. In the past, all the different modules right, has been very established content. Right? If you teach futures and options, if you teach derivatives, you teach regulations, it's already there. But FinTech Innovation is a module that I have to think, how do I train the students not only to know what's happening in the industry currently, but also to induce curiosity and induce certain critical thinking and forward-looking mindset so that even when they finish this module, they will carry on learning what's going on in the industry. And hopefully, uh, with that, they will be able to navigate the change of what's going on in the industry as well. This is a 
special module, I feel. And I've been trying new ways to teach this module. For example, I came up with an Instagram account for this module and uh, I wanted to engage the students by putting up some explainer posts uh, with regards to any fintech concepts they, they are learning. I also did very simple podcasts that I invite certain industry practitioners to come and talk about certain fintech subjects. So I'm trying a lot of new things, even in a tutorial where traditionally it has always been question and answer, question and answer, please practice your questions and then after that we will discuss the answers. I want to try to encourage questions, not just for students to go to a tutorial, okay, what question do I have to do? I just practice that and go for exams and things like that. But I wanted the tutorial to become more interactive and to become more thought-provoking. So I designed it in such a way that they had to come up with their questions themselves. It's a new thing that I'm trying. I'm actually enjoying it because the things that they were asking also makes me as a lecturer think. So it's not just a one-way offload of information. Rather, there's always this two-way interaction. And it enriches me, it enriches the students as well. So in this way, I felt that it's more like uh, we are learning with the students. And I think that's the best way to model learning. Yeah, so it sounds like you're not teaching them a specific product. Like you say, it's, exactly. it's not a commodity, it's not a future. You're not showing them how to calculate something. You're teaching them how to be innovative Yes. How to ask good questions. Correct. So Correct. more focused on kind of the soft skills. Yes, in a way. But of course, there are always uh, certain technical concepts that needs to be understood. Like for example, mm. if I'm teaching blockchain, that's quite a lot to let them understand, right? But the objective is not for them just to understand the blockchain concept. It's for them to start thinking how blockchain can affect the whole industry. You know, what are the use cases that they can use, apply blockchain on? and what is going on in the industry, and what future application they might come up for it. Because they are the future, right? Ultimately, blockchain will definitely evolve in many, many use cases. Some of them will be the ones that are coming up with them. What is it like for you to be learning blockchain and teaching at the same time? Because when we're at university, we weren't learning blockchain to even exist then. Yes, that's a very good question because uh, at a point of time, I did my own research. I also went for certain seminars. It was a challenge to learn. Then I went for the graduate diploma where I go deeper in how blockchain actually works. So I combine all this together. And that's also one of my motivation as well because I knew I didn't have the easy time learning blockchain. So how am I going to integrate all these experiences into a three-hour experience where I had challenge in learning blockchain. What was it that I didn't understand then that blocked me at the mm. point of time to, to understand it fully? So I tried to identify those and try to design it as a three-hour interaction and to explore those areas so that their experience is much more fast-tracked than I did. You put yourself in the shoes of a student. Correct, of a learner. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I did. And then you became innovative and enhanced the experience for your class. Exactly, yeah. That sounds awesome. And you mentioned earlier you, you're using like new tools like Instagram and finding a way for it to become more interactive. I'm seeing that there's like rapid digitalization in the finance industry as well. How is that impacting your curriculum or has your curriculum evolved because of that? Yes. In fact, if we look at a bigger picture of the whole curriculum of the Diploma in Banking and Finance in uh, Singapore Poly, we have made changes almost like every year, you know, in order to keep up with the times. For example, I mean, it's not just my fintech innovation module. We are also trying to infuse technical skills such as data analytics, coding, 
into a module that is supposed to be taught in school of business. Because traditionally, all these technology modules are resides in school of computing, school of IT. But now, school of business do need to put in this competency into the curriculum. The purpose is not really just to make our students very IT savvy, or we want to make them developers, or we want to make them you know very technologically inclined. The purpose of putting these technology-based modules is to allow them to see how technology has enabled the business and how it has changed business. Right. So we are coming in the perspective of business. To me, it's important for students to understand implications of how this technology advancement has on the business itself, especially in the banking industry. So, what are the key implications? Say, for example, when we talk about simple things like pay now. So this is a very simple product that banks actually have. Traditionally, we teach them, you know, what is a loan, what's a deposit, what you can invest in. But technology that improves customer experience, this is something new that we want to uh, make sure our students understand why banks are doing this. The evolving of payments in terms of this pay la, pay now. Why do banks do it? And behind it, what's the infrastructure that's impacting the business? What challenges are these banks facing in order to roll all this technology out? We need the students, especially our school of business students, to appreciate that. When they finally in the workforce, if they are in a banking and finance industry, and when they are working with people who are developing those tech, they will not be seen as somebody who don't know what's going on. In fact, they can even work cooperatively with the tech side to bring out the best in the business. So speaking of like pay now, pay now, these payment methods. And being a payments podcast, I have to ask you, how is payments being taught in your course? We have to consider that the students actually graduate from all levels. They are secondary school students. They are more like the users, mm-hmm. right? At the start, they do not have those technical knowledge on what's the infrastructure about. So I got to be very careful on how I design the curriculum to put the idea of payments into that. We don't go too deep. But the way that we have put payments into the curriculum is to explore how these payments have impacted the bank's business or the fintech businesses, how it works. I tell them about the history of how payments have evolved, starting from you know when we have credit cards, how credit cards actually evolved, and what was the thinking behind you know the innovation behind how these payments has evolved over time. That's where I sort of stopped because any further that we go into. The student will start to oh no, <laughs> especially school of business, right? I mean, even for me, I think it's more interesting to understand how the payments has evolved and how it has impacted not just the business, it also impacts the lifestyles of people. And when they are the ones being the user and they understand how things have affected them, it brings them to the next level of understanding. You know, and not just a user anymore, but they go into the business behind payments to appreciate how this has impacted their lives. That sounds very hands-on because then yeah. they can see day to day what、yeah. they're using、right. and how it fits into the industry. Right. And so I think I also read that the diploma in banking finance promises to provide students with experiential, hands-on learning journey.、Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So how is knowledge practically applied in projects or course assignments? Other than infusing these fintech concepts and trying to design it as engaging as possible. We also infuse industry engagement into the curriculum. I do invite industry practitioners to speak with the students, so that the students can hear from the horse's mouth. 
you know what exactly is going on and if they don't follow and that's where I come in to explain to them what the speaker or the industry practitioner has shared not only that we also have projects that we have real clients for example they will be working with the industry clients to solve certain real-life problems as a project. I think this project is one of those that I feel the students can take away the most because you can't Google that. As I've said just now, right, I mean, students are able to Google any, you know, any sort of questions that they want to find out more. But to understand the business and to be working with an industry partner, they will have to find their way to understand what their client wants and then from there, try to work out a certain solution, innovative solution through, you know, design thinking process. And it makes the mind work innovatively. And that's how we put it hands on. Why do you think practical learning experience works better than one that is theory focused? Yeah, because theory, you can look up in books, you can look up in Google, but the hands on experience is something which you can't Google, right? That's where I find value in education. Hands on Experience is always the best teacher. So the typical lecture that we have and typical tutorial that we have, we can run away from certain theoretical concepts. It's just that we need to balance how much time we are catering for the hands-on experience, how much time we are catering to just offload theoretical concepts. So we are constantly adjusting the portion of both. For modules like my FinTech Innovations, I have been trying to make sure that there are more time for self-directed learning as well as project time, than the uh, theoretical you know, concepts. What are some of the challenges that you experience in teaching? There's a lot. First of all, I have to say that as an educator, there's a huge challenge, not only just to teach them, but to teach them and prepare them for the future. We know that the technology advancement is so quick. We don't even know what's going to happen in the five years' time. But yet, we are preparing students to get ready in five years' time. So that is the biggest challenge as educator. So that is why theoretical concepts is not the main thing that we should be focusing on. And that's why we have all those hands-on experience for them to pick up soft skills, pick up you know, critical thinking, make them open their eyes bigger, think out the box, be more creative. We hope that these qualities can be transferable. Since we know that you know change is the only constant, then we have to prepare them for change. For the students, for the past 10, 20 years of their educational life, before they reach tertiary education, they have always been taught to learn theoretical concepts. And that's a huge challenge to them because when they come to a tertiary institution like the Singapore Poly, and when they are thrown into hands-on experience, they'll be thinking about what's the right answer? How do I get an ace? How do I do better? But very often when we try to tell them how to do better is really how resourceful are you? How quick can you come to a solution? How well do you apply those concepts? Students tend to not convince with that because they are used to having a proper rubrics, right? Assessment rubrics, if this is what you did, if this is what you do and you do it right. So it's very subjective. I mean, it's a challenge both for us as a lecturer, uh, as an educator, as well as a student because we have to make sure that while we assess the students, it has to be equitable. Actually, that's why education has been in such a way that it always depends on what is the right and wrong answer because that's the best way to be equitable across the board, right? You know that by doing this, you get a mark. If the assessment becomes subjective, there is an element of uncertainty, there's an element of subjectivity. So they will start to feel, hey, is it unfair if you are assessed by this lecturer or the other lecturer? How are we going to make sure that you know everybody is being assessed equitably? So that's the challenge. 
for us to make sure that they are assessed equitably. And, but for students, it will then be to understand what is actually needed. So it sounds like they need to be more like experimental in their approach and it's okay to make mistakes. Yes, that's a good point, right? Because they have always been taught to not fail. Right. <laughs> because if they fail, the groups will be affected and then they will think that their future is gone, right? But uh, it's not that. So it's very important that in the school context, in our polytechnic, we have to create a safe environment to fail. We have to encourage people to try and we try to incorporate that in the assessment. And how do you incorporate that? It's so difficult, I can tell you, <laughs> because it's very subjective, right? People, some students might say that I've tried so much and yet, you know, I didn't get a marks. You mm. say that you, I need to try, but I tried. Yeah, so it's not, not easy. I mean, I do not have an answer to that because until today, I'm still trying to make sure that, you know, what I'm trying to teach the student is still equitable. It's a constant challenge to do that. To me, it's pretty clear in a sense that if I see a student able to exercise certain critical thinking skills, mm -hmm. they ask good questions, they bring up new insights and they try new things, no matter what it is, whether or not it's right or wrong, but as long as the experiment fails in certain aspect and you are using those, what you have learned not to do into the next round, that is where I'm looking for. So like the learning process as you describe it, it doesn't follow a set trajectory and I think also with education, once your student complete the course, there's different pathways that they could follow, right? Yes. How do you guide them or recommend them into what pathways they should take or can take? I don't really recommend them though because every individual is unique in my opinion. But it's important that in the educational journey that the school provide them with the exposure. So we need to expose them to technological stuff like coding and things like that. But if they don't like it, it's fine. You know, you learn it and uh, you can choose a different path. For some students, when they are exposed to this technological part, they might feel that hey, it's actually more interesting than what I've been studying before and they might move further into that area. So I think the important thing is to get them the exposure. So we, we expose them in the range of stuff and um, let them decide for themselves and which one they are interested in. So for listeners who have kids or even if there's any students listening, what should students consider and how should students construct their roadmap in the world of banking and finance? Like I said, every individual is unique, but I think it's important to keep reflecting for students. You shouldn't be afraid to learn new things. You shouldn't be afraid to be exposed to things that you think you might not be good at. You should be brave enough, face it, and make a decision after that. Give yourself a chance to learn those things that you feel that you will not be good at. Once you experience that, it might or might not change your mind, but at least when you make a decision, you are making a more informed decision than if you don't try it. I think like making the decision on what career to pursue on an 18-year-old or even a 20-year-old at that age, right? What ways do you support them? Yes, you're right. Um, there are students who are at a cross path of me, especially when they graduate, when they start to choose a, what kind of course they want to take in your university. Some of that actually comes to me. I do coach them. Not coaching them as in, you know, telling them, oh, this is the right thing for you, but I'll rather help them to self-discover exactly what you're good at and where your interests lie. Because the important thing I feel is for students while they are going through the education journey to continuously understand and have a certain level of self-awareness of their own development so that they are able to make a good decision at the end. Sometimes, I mean, when they go through the education journey, say three years in, in, in poly, 
when they are doing projects, they might be, oh, I don't like this. I don't like to stand in front of the crowd. You know, things like that. Even if you don't like, it's actually a good self-awareness. What I help to do is really to try to uncover all this. You know, they might be, oh, my polytechnic life has been miserable. Tell me more about that, right? Because how has it been miserable? And oh, because I don't like this. I like this. In fact, actually, they are learning more about themselves. Even if they don't pursue banking and finance, they might do something else. I have one student who have gone to the school of computing, and I ask her, hey, "How come you moved to computing?" Yes, because it's interesting. I got exposed to this, and I felt that hey, it's something that might work for me, and that's how they chose their path. Right. Sounds like you're not just a lecturer, but also a mentor. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so at, it sounds very challenging but rewarding to be nurturing the future generation of finance professionals. To wrap up, I wanted to see if you have any advice that you would give professionals that may want to consider making the jump. Pretty similar to what I have always told my students to be self-aware of your own, you know, development. Even for professionals, I mean, even if I'm speaking for myself, when I make the jump from banker to educator, my learning doesn't stop there.、It、doesn't mean that I'm putting behind the banking industry kind of knowledge and experience. I'm actually seeing how I can use it instead. So, for professionals who are already in the industry and thinking of making any switch at all, at that point of time, it is. How much you know about yourself and make that jump? I would say to be courageous. Well, I understand that that feeling because I made that jump before. It needs a lot of courage, and I and I admit that. And don't think that you regret. I think the hardest consideration for us to jump to another domain is always, what if I regret it? But I always believe that whatever that has gone, what experience that you have in the past, will always shape you into a person that you will ultimately be and. If you want yourself to develop in a certain way, then the experience will help you. So, the courage in making the jump is to know that you will not regret it, even if you feel miserable about that. <laughs> it's also a learning experience. It's feedback, right? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being courageous and making the jump. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for being on the show today. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love this conversation as well. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. To read more about this conversation, go to twocp.com/blog. Two